0: Magic Without Fears Hermetic Podcast. I'm your host Frater RC. For more and exclusive episodes, visit magicwithoutfears.com. Thank you for your support. Yeah.
1: And uh, since it's since it's you, a little redundancy, right? Just because. You never know. Yeah. I had one. I lost one podcast on Zoom, but that was when I was first learning Zoom. But it's still good to just uh you know actually Always the redundancy back. won't work because i have the headphones in should i just take them out
2: yeah i don't know, I don't <laughs> know what i'm telling you
1: <laughs> all right that sounds good there we go
3: hmm. actually you sound much richer you do
1: yeah. oh good 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 yeah. yeah well these you know headphone mics aren't exactly uh condensers all right. right yeah i've got the big fancy one over there but i find it's just a hassle to set it up and, and all that damien eccles laurie davis welcome to magic without fears I'm your host, Frederick. You, hey. It's very exciting to have you here to talk about your new book and life in general. Where are you in the world right now? Are you in New York?
3: No, we Definitely. left New York uh, probably six months ago. And one of our bases, we move around a lot now. We're on the road quite a bit. We actually just got home a few days ago. Um, one of our bases where we are right now is in New Orleans. We spend a lot of time here as well as You know, we have a place way out in the middle of nowhere we go to, um, but we bounce around a lot. We left New York uh, just, you know, it was one of those things we never thought we would do. Like there's so much magic and beauty and, and culture and everything else there. But I think one day we both just woke up and looked at each other and said, I've had enough of this. Let's get out of here.
1: I remember you talking on your Patreon during that time period as you were moving one place to another place in New York and talking about clearing out the energy of the room. Also, you talked about moving as traumatic and I actually appreciated that. Uh, Yeah, you have a lot of uh, techniques actually in your new book, Rituals. Rituals, or Ritual. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: Yeah. What's it called? Ritual? Ritual. Yeah. not rituals. But it does contain rituals.
3: It does. (laughs) I mean, if you think about it though, like the place where you live... It's where you're accumulating, like, you know, like we all give off energy all the time. So you're literally filling the place that you live with your energy. And if you've been somewhere for several years, you've pretty much saturated everything in there with you, the essence of you. So when you, you know, make this, this cut and move to some completely new, energetically empty, void place, it's like you're starting over from scratch, filling that place up again. And there's something about that that it really is kind of traumatic in a lot of different ways.
4: Well, it's not only just the movement, but it's destruction. You're destroying everything you've built Mm -hmm. in this home. And so you take, and then in the process, you have to look at all of the things from your past as you're packing them and/or pictures or what you're going to keep or not keep books. So you're reliving all of these, maybe traumatic and sometimes joyous things that have happened to you and you have to (laughs) live so I think that destruction is also a part of Mm -hmm. the trauma
1: yeah yeah where would we be without the IAO formula eh? (laughs) hey
2: there you
1: go (laughs) yeah um you uh you talk about uh, a bunch of rituals in the in the book and and a lot of really great visualizations for for cha- changing and cleansing energy around yourself as well as you know techniques that go back to the golden dawn which is my background and, and training um but i've always wanted to actually maybe it's my own fault that i don't know this but what was, your, what was your first sort of structured magical training um, from a teacher? You've referenced it before, but I was always hoping I might get to ask you. I, I assumed it was from an AA uh, tradition.
3: That, I, actually, I forgot about that until you brought it up just now. Yeah, uh, actually, when I was in prison, I did. I used to correspond with members from the AA uh, located in Missouri. So I learned a lot from them. I also had, you know, some Eastern tradition teachers like while I was in prison um, I had a Zen master that would come back and forth from Japan to the prison that eventually would even do my ordination ceremony. Uh, and, and a lot of it honestly was also a huge part of when I was in prison, it was trial and error. You know, mm-hmm. you get these books, you get like the, the black brick, the golden dawn book, and essentially you, open it up and you start trying to do it over and over and over until something clicks into place and you're like, oh, I finally got it. Or you do it for a while and you realize, okay, this isn't working. And the thing that I learned about Matt, the reason I focus so much on energy work is because to me, that was when I realized this isn't all just mental masturbation. Something is happening when I do this. Like when I would do the energy techniques, whether it was the uh, you know, the lesser banishing or invoking or whether it was the middle pillar or whatever it was like, I would feel something happened in yeah. a way that I didn't get from things, you know, like some people really get into gematria or, you know, scrying or whatever it is. And those were things that I, I never really got much out of. For me, it was always about the energy work. So a lot of it was trial and error with the energy work. And a huge part of what propelled me in that regard was when I was in prison um, I suffered a lot of abuse, like physical abuse, like stuff that was incredibly painful. And I didn't have doctors, I didn't have a dentist, I didn't have a psychologist or a psychiatrist to help me through the trauma. All I had was magic. That was the only thing that I had to rely on to get me through this stuff, and that was what pushed me so hard to constantly keep learning and learning. After I got, you know, by the time I got out, this is one of those these things that sounds a little crazy to some people, but by the time I left prison, I had gotten far enough along where I didn't even, honestly, I didn't feel like I was in prison anymore. You know, days would go by and I wouldn't even think about the fact that I was in in this cell because I was so excited about what I was learning and what I was doing. And also the thing about the energy work and, and the effects that it was having on me health wise and helping me deal with pain, was it made me realize I can use this to affect the physical world. Like it is entirely possible to change your physical reality or your experience of reality with this. So the more you learn that, the more I started to feel like I'm not in a cell, I'm in a control tower where I can reach out and touch pretty much anything in the world and no one can do anything about it because most people don't even think that what I'm doing is a real thing. They they would think I'm delusional. Yeah. So that was a huge part of it. So by the time I got out, I had learned you know, all of these basic things like you know, how to bring about self-transformation of certain kinds, how to you know, cope with pain, how to you know, use it to heal yourself of certain things, or how to use it for you know, protection. You, know, you go through that stage where you learn all of the basic rituals, like in the Golden Dawn tradition, and then you enter that second stage of figuring out, okay, well, how can I use these for practical purposes? And I'd kind of reached that point. By the time I got out. And then after I got out, I was fortunate enough to come in contact with other people who basically showed me, you know, this is not all there is to it. You know, one one person that I had met told me 90% of a teacher's job is to tell you you're not finished yet. Mm -hmm. No matter how much you think you know, how far you've come, how much you've learned, there's still a lot more to go. And I didn't realize how much more there was to go whenever I got out. I still thought it was all about, okay, I've learned to shape my reality or my experience of reality and kind of have the life I want. I didn't realize that this is really just the very beginning of this path.
1: Yeah. There's, there's so much in magic uh, and you can, you can spend your entire life just working with energetic basics and, and all of that. And you don't need to even, you don't even ever need to memorize or learn Enochian or Hebrew, and you can still have your life filled up with stuff to do. I sometimes don't know what I'm doing, whether it's the like Kabbalah or Enochian or Shem work. It's, it's very easy to get distracted. But the thing, it, place where it all comes together is in the rituals. Absolutely. It always comes together in the rituals. And it was so hard for me to start practicing the LBRP back in you know, Donald Michael Craig days in the early mid-90s because I had such issues with the angels and stuff. I was into Wicca and Druidry, but I did the rituals and I was stunned at how effective the you know LBRP and the middle pillar were compared to the other more pagan things I was doing. They were lovely. They were more se- Sabbath celebration type stuff as mm-hmm. one does, especially at that, that age. And But when I started doing the structured rituals with the vibrations and all the visualizations and it just demanded so much, it, it changed it entirely. Yes. Um, and okay. then of course I got, yeah, but I hit a wall with Don Craig, and I hit a wall with those rituals, and that's when I had to join an order, and I was lucky to have a local Golden Dawn temple that was started by Nineveh Shadrach, the Arabic adept. Mm-hmm. So I had a, had a good experience there. I was lucky. But, that's
3: the um, that same experience I had. It was, it, you know, I, I, like, I mean, I'm on death row, and I'm looking at any, anything that even remotely smacks of Christianity, I'm viewing as this is the property of the people who are trying to murder me. So I didn't want anything to do with anything to do with angels. And then when I started actually using them and doing the rituals, I became, I never in a million years would have seen this happening, but I became obsessed with angel work when I saw how effective it was. And probably for, I would say at least five years, I probably did exclusively angel work, nothing but working with angels just because of how effective I found it.
1: Well, yeah, and I like that you go back to the Sumerian roots. I find that to be one of the most important and easy to overlook aspects of just the of Western culture and history in general, right? Mm-hmm. When I mean, uh, for me, it, it dawned on me when I was uh, learning Hebrew in seminary, and I realized how many of these words like Adonai come from Ugaritic origins, like it's Yadon, and it's the same root as for the word Adonis, and you're like, oh, Jesus. And then, you know, El, Elohim, all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And you start looking at Sumeria and being like, what what was going on before that? Where did they learn all this stuff? And next thing you know, you're absolutely fucked watching ancient aliens 24 hours a day. (laughs) 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 Yep,
3: that's pretty much it. um, That's (laughs) (laughs) That's
2: great.
1: But let's talk about, let's talk about the, the real life angel you, you attracted, um, uh, Lori. Oh. I, I watching your wedding ceremony on the, one of the movies, one of the movies was a, uh, was a, was a powerful experience. And I can only imagine, I know you've already talked a lot about your relationship and how you came to meet each other, but one of the shocking things from the beginning of your book is an admission of uh, quite a lot of trauma that you guys actually went through. And I'm not sure how much you've made that clear to people before this, this book. And you say it right at the outset in the first few pages. It's almost, easy. I didn't notice it on the first read through actually. It was the second one it, and where it, it caught me and it said, "And you said, you said we became suicidal. Um, and it's it's something you don't usually hear people say. It's a turn of phrase that's actually quite disarming because you often will hear people say, oh man, I was suicidal, you know, or that sort of thing, but you don't often hear Two people admit that together because you think almost like well if if someone has someone else how could they be in such need right but to, to right. it's just a powerful statement to begin the book with and i think it sets the right tone on the book and say in a way of saying this is not just a book of rituals that will enhance your life this is a book of rituals that might have literally saved our lives
4: right yes and that's the truth yeah
1: is there yeah what can you tell uh, tell people about Facing that kind of darkness together, and and moving through it, and then putting out this this new book of core core practices that I think is quite well presented without the uh, all the frills and bells and whistles that us occultists do know and love.
4: <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, yeah, I mean, during the time Damien was in prison, I mean the the you know the abuse that he went through in prison was. I mean, I can't even imagine. I mean, it was hard for me on the outside just knowing he was being tortured and, and all of the things that were happening to him. And that in itself is very, um, you know, of course it's, it's hard for me, but I wouldn't say I was, you know, anywhere near the amount of trauma he was in. When he got out, it was almost like our worlds exploded everything that we knew before. And I had been in Arkansas for years working on his case and had formed, you know, it was my home then. I, I had formed relationships, you know, so I was pretty dug in there and, you know, literally exploded and are he's on a plane for the first time, literally throwing up on the plane because he's, you know, he just came out into this world that is suddenly light and music and, you know, noise and people and color. All of the things he hasn't seen for over 18 years,
3: and we had nothing. No, you know, when when I walked out of prison, I did not have a penny in my pocket, mm-hmm. or even a suit of clothes to put on. We didn't know where we were going to go, what we were going to do, how we were going to survive, or anything else. Yeah,
4: and we were very fortunate because Peter Jackson and Fran Walsh, um, who helped us with the case, offered us this amazing penthouse. In, in Tribeca to live in for a year. I mean, this place was huge. We talk about coming from a nine by 12 cell and then going into this huge, you know, penthouse apartment. It was incredible.
1: Peter Jackson but, and Grand Walsh is no less. <laughs> that's a kind of, <laughs> that's a different kind of surreal to death row, right? It's like out of hell into wonderland. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's
4: what, and that's what it was. But for Damien, it was more. You know, I didn't even. No one could understand what he was going through internally, and that's key because most people who you know, who survive horrific abuse or brain injury, which is what he was dealing with, they don't show. So everyone, you know, that you don't see brain injury, you don't see trauma um, unless you're around it for a little bit. But you know, you think he's just fine. So let's put him on a worldwide tour to go talk about what he's been through over and over again. Let's have him put a book out. Let's do a movie tour. Let's do everything. Like these media junkets were just killing us. And it was like right out of the gate. So two years in, he suffers his first nervous breakdown and I am not a medical professional. I do not have the ability to take care of someone who is in that amount of pain. So hence I become traumatized because, you know, we're both trying to live and he's barely surviving. And I am literally in a spiral of fear that will not stop. I am just wake up, you know, wake up all through the night afraid, afraid all the time. How are we gonna live? How are we gonna have money? Is he gonna be able to survive this? I just remember one day, it had been about a month since he'd been out and he came in very upset. He couldn't understand something at the bank. And then he sat down and told me, he said, every single day when I go out, I'll walk down the street, maybe someone will step in front of me, maybe a a bus, a, a motorcycle goes by loud. It's like driving a car on ice. You hit a bad patch and you start spinning and hit the guardrail. It's that amount of adrenaline, 70, 100 times a day. So when I heard that, I had at least an inkling of what he was experiencing. Several years later, we met a neurologist who explained it to us. She says his brain was not formed when he went into prison as an 18 year old. So it forms around what his, his, you know, experiences, meaning fight or flight. So basically there's two main grooves that are formed in his brain, and those are the dominant so he's not seeing color. he's not hearing voices. He's not seeing people's faces. So his he grows up with a fight or flight all the time. He gets out into this world into Manhattan, no less. noise, people's faces, music, color. It's uh, and then it's a log jam. And so what comes from that is nausea. So I was like, didn't yet understand it? There would be times when we' be walking down the street. Damien would just sit down on the curb. He couldn't even go any further because his body just couldn't do it his mind couldn't do it he was not nause- it, it, was, it was dealing with nausea and so I at that point it's just like I, how we just sort of stumble through years and years and then eventually just deteriorating slowly as a couple and as individuals until the point in 2016 we just decided it's like it's not worth it and I, there was a moment when literally we were going to end it and it's crazy i've never told this story before but what changed everything is we had this tiny little cat and she came in and she sat on top of me and it's like sort of like i'm not going anywhere you're not doing this and at that moment we just decided and it wasn't like oh we're okay it was this change, sudden change of situation. I don't even know what happened, but we ended up moving away from that and moving into separate parts of our apartment for the next couple of years. And I stopped asking Damien anything about where he was going, what he was doing, just leave him alone. And then we started doing these rituals and writing them up. And that's where this book came from. And over the the next few years, we really just dug into healing and we both, dug into our spiritual work and I'm so happy to say that we made it through and I mean I can't even tell you the joy in our lives now so I always like to to tell people from this experience if you're with someone and you really there's really true love there I mean it's there's not an abusive situation or anything it's just you've hit a bad patch you don't think you can get through it really try to get through it because i really do believe it's those traumas those hard times that forge amazing relationships later on
1: yeah thank you very much for sharing that we're definitely not in an age that that values perseverance so much are we no we're we're, definitely not it's it's a cut and run kind of milieu unfortunately since since that doesn't really allow us to complete much of any kind of alchemical process and have any hope for gold if we just can't you know fight through all the stages what shall we say yeah and and I don't know anyone that uh I admire highly I guess that hasn't been through that kind of darkness I haven't Mm -hmm. I haven't really ever met someone who's just like oh, my life's been great. Everything's been fine. You know, (laughs) I went to a private school and now I've got lots of inheritance and things are just great. I've Mm -hmm. never been interested in anyone with that kind of a story. Mm -hmm. Um, Though God bless them if that's, if they've had such (laughs) an easy life. I mean, more power to you. (laughs) Yeah.
4: It just doesn't inspire you to do the work. I don't think.
1: No, no. I I grew up in a very affluent area, went to Walder School. So I was surrounded by those sorts of people. But it was the ones who were troubled that uh, be, were most interesting to me. You know, they became the outcasts and started a coven and played D&D and all that. And we weren't yeah. very popular, but, you know, um, <laughs> that sort of life. Uh, yeah. We need the uh, crucible, don't we?
3: <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Absolutely.
4: Yep.
1: Yeah. Um, what was it? I'm, I'm also curious. I don't know if anyone's ever asked you this. But what was it like uh, in the early days when, when, talking around magic, were you a skeptical, Lori, of when you first sort
4: of, you mm, know? Not, like- not, 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 no, not, not at all. I had, you know, I, was, I had been raised in a fundamentalist, like Southern Baptist home. So, you know, I rejected much of that as even as a child and a teenager, but I loved prayer. And it was proven to me early on that visualization, you know, speaking, talking about these things that they really do affect and and, and manifest, right? You can do that. And I learned that as a kid. So, you know, there was that little seed of what was, what, what you could do through, first of all, just faith and belief. Um, But when I met Damien and he started telling me about it, He wasn't, you weren't really practicing though, when I first met you, he was, he was in doing Zen meditation and Zen practice then. Um, And so he, it was great because when he first introduced me to it, he was sort of getting back into it. And he was, and then he started teaching me and telling me books to get and, and to learn. And I immediately started seeing, you know, changes in my life. So I was just very fortunate to have a really good teacher.
3: She did every now and then there would be things pop up though, that she would make fun of yep. or laugh at. Like when you were talking about the, you know, the shim operation, doing the shim work. And she would always say, you know, that sounds like that guy from the three stooges <laughs> or it sounds like some kind of medical procedure you would get, you know, I'm going in for the shim operation tomorrow.
1: <laughs> oh. Oh, I, I, never, <laughs> see, I don't even hear it that way. I can't even hear it that way. But when you say it that way, it's like, yeah, Okay. Okay. <laughs> <No>. um, <laughs>
4: And I would also, I didn't understand like about the robes and all of the, the wands and things like, I just thought that's just some geek business and that, but now of course (laughs) I understand it. I understand how powerful these things are and what they're used for and why they're here. But, you know, and I actually, our house is filled with them. (laughs) And I love all of it now. And you've got some amazing things around you.
1: here's here's uh we last year we focused in my little group on uh working with the heptarchia from john d's system and so here's my karmara sigil for the all the karmara oh, okay. I do. Nice. so in, in, in the Enochian heptarchial work you stand on this while you're doing the prayers to call the the beings then you do the the, the you know Enochian, and then you of course communicate through the other t- tools and mm-hmm. yeah you know there's no colors given for the king of kings of the heptarchial angels karmara so first we did scrying to ask them what colors they would like used and it was shocking how many different ones of us got similar colors yeah you know a lot of us got told some of the similar ones which you know it's always nice to nice to hear but yeah lots of silk wrap tools down there and all the mm-hmm. stuff uh, they're as power as of reserv- uh, you know it's interesting when you think about talisman's Holding the charge or the connection to an angel or a spirit, but also you know, not being necessary if you can forge your own relationship to the angel or yes the exactly
3: exactly yeah yeah one you of the people that I learned from I thought you know one of the, the greatest things he ever said was all of these things are basically like training wheels they they're good to get you started to give you something to focus on but ideally what you should be working for is you want to reach a place. In your life and in your practice, where you could be dropped off butt naked in the middle of the jungle somewhere, and immediately being able to start doing work to help yourself.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, amen. Um, yeah, I, I had to do something similar after like my big uh, home invasion sort of thing I mentioned earlier. Like, yeah, you know, there was there was uh, there was time on the street, brother, <laughs> and just having to use you know from within myself create a life again when yes. there was literally nowhere to sleep or
2: yeah wow
1: found. and that's crazy I never thought you'd never think like you know you know 10 years after like having a successful academic period and, and job period in your life and uh, you know up until 2008 things were great <laughs> um, yeah, that, was, that, that was a rough period on everyone right well yeah. the bankers um, <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's let's not get into that the world's crazy enough
2: <laughs> it is it's true
1: yeah yeah <laughs> um yeah and and but i'm 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 fascinated by the fact that and one of the reasons i still teach and and i may have started through the podcast making myself more available to people which has a you know you pay a price for that as well as you well know yep. yeah. um but you have the blessing of getting to work with people that would otherwise not know find you they wouldn't find you you'd only know people in your neighborhood or town and that's it um but being public you get to meet all these amazing people case in Mm -hmm. point and but yeah (laughs) and uh the reason it was just because i know that it could it saved my own life not only when i was young but over and over again and even through periods of that most people would think you couldn't come back from, you mm-hmm. know, suffering yeah. that amount of violence and persecution from the cops, um, because, you know, boy, I thought they were your friends. I was wrong. Yeah. <laughs>
3: yeah. You know, I think one of the things that really like destroyed me whenever I got out of prison, like by the time I walked out of there, You know, I had 24 hours a day to do whatever I wanted to do. So I was focusing on doing ritual work and study for like eight hours a day, every day. It was like the backbone of my existence. I went from doing this for eight hours a day to the day I walked out of prison. It was like something inside me broke, shattered, and I could not do magic anymore. Like I could not do ritual work. I could not read books. Like if I tried to read a book, by the time I got to the end of the page, I could not retain what I had read by the time I got to the bottom of the page anymore. So it was like like my connection to magic being severed was a huge part of what led to my almost complete and utter destruction. And I really did not start coming back from that until i was able to start doing magic again it has always been magic that starts pulling me back up out of that downward spiral
1: amen amen i get comments from listeners on the podcast all the time uh who say that everyone they know who starts getting serious about magic or really getting into like this or that aspect of magic their lives just fall apart and everything goes and i have always been a voice on my podcast say I don't understand. That's not, that's not my story. And that's not my experience of, of magical practices at all. And it's, but it made me very curious to understand a bit more about what's going on in the culture and why there seems to be this trend. I don't know if it's unstable people getting attracted and just sort of not having guidance. And, you know, you can really untether your mind if you just don't have a firm foundation. I mean, there's a reason we focus on these core basic practices. Um, like my first month in the golden dawn, yeah, my, my teacher gave me a bunch of forms to fill out after every LBRP. And on the top, it said X 235. He's like, hand me all these forms back in a month, make 235 copies, you know, so three, four or five times a day. And, you know, that was just his theory on how to immerse you and then, you know, let you go into the depths of it. I always tell people like, you know, there's nothing wrong with doing a ritual as many times as you need to in the early days until you've got it down. Because yes. until you really have it internalized, especially like if it's a complex one like the Watchtower, for example, you know, until you have it really internalized, you're not really doing it, not yes. really. So if every time you do it, you've got a script in hand. Yes. Do it a hundred times internalize yes. it, yes. then you'll start practicing it.
3: Yes, I think you should do them forward, backward. I mean, you want you want to reach a point where you know these things inside and out you know, where they become almost reflex for you. That's whenever like the really deep stuff starts to happen. You know, some, I, I think one of the greatest things I was ever, one of the greatest instructions I was ever given, somebody told me that you want to wring every single ounce of experience and growth and knowledge that you possibly can out of every single step of this process. And you can't do that by doing these rituals once or twice a year. You've got to do them over and over and over. Sometimes to the point where you wake up in the morning and you think, Jesus Christ, I don't want to do the LBRP for the 5,000th time today. But you get up and you do it anyway.
1: It's, it's, it's a very powerful devotion. Um recently i don't know if you noticed but on the in the golden dawn groups online uh, some of uh the handwritten copy by wv his uncle george Polexvin of his copy of the LBRP has been circulating the pdf of his handwritten one and people were surprised to realize that it emphasizes the invoking form and the banishing forms just a footnote of course you do you go back to Regardi and you realize oh this is how it was recommended as a devotion to be done lirp in the morning lbrp in the evening
4: mm-hmm. and
1: uh you know, a lot of us got that sort of turned around for a few years due to like, I think Don Michael Craig's sort of approach and stuff like that. And Don used to t- teach a lot in our order back in, in the day, but um, you know, there was a lot of, it's been a, it's been a, there's been a project to sort of separate, tease out again, the Thelemic magical system from the original Golden Dawn one. And it's been a fascinating thing to watch because we're seeing nuances that were sort of overlooked like you know how we always talk about the holy guardian angel well if you actually look at golden dawn material it's not actually ever talked about there that's actually more of a on the thelemic side the golden dawn talks more about higher genius higher self and then you realize oh there might be more of a fundamental difference in the theology and goals of their approach the methodology of how these things Mm -hmm. are done i'm uh what 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 are some of your favorite rituals i know you you mentioned the analysis of the keyword which always was shocked and delighted me to hear because that was the thing as a teenager that filled me with the most amount of energy
2: mm-hmm. and
1: and shocked the shit out of me I just was like what the hell is this thing you know
3: the, the reason I love that one so much is once again going back to like you know working with the angels and realizing how effective it was like how much you get out of it how quickly you start to experience changes in yourself like doing variations of the analysis of the keyword is by far the thing that I have found the most effective for causing some sort of external change. And and part of it was I realized, you know, it took me a long time to understand a lot of what people were talking about, like when they would tell me, you know, like when you're learning these things, when you're learning the lesser banishing, or when you're learning the lesser invoking, you're learning a formula that you're going to use in a million other ways. And no one can tell you all the variations of this formula because there's, there's so many uses for it. That was what really made that click into place for me and made me start to understand that was the analysis of the keyword. I started to realize essentially what you're doing when you're doing the analysis of the keyword is you are invoking pure divine power. You're bringing it down and filling up the space that you're in, filling yourself up, filling up your tools or or talismans that you're working with, whatever it is, you're just bringing down this flood of pure divinity into the space. I started to, to, it was like something just, clicked into place one day. And I thought, well, if you can do that with pure divinity, then you could also do that with any of the spheres on the tree of life, because they're all just aspects of divinity. So one of the things I started to realize is, okay, I can invoke you know, hesed, just by instead of bringing white light down the way you do in the the analysis of the keyword, vibrating the divine name associated with hesed over and over and over and seeing the light at the top of the universe as being blue, and then bringing that down on something. Or I could do the same thing with yasad and do it with purple light and vibrating those names and bringing it down. And one of the things that made me realize like how effective this was, was when we think of like, for example, manifesting things, we tend to think of it as happening in the future. Like, okay, I want to manifest something in my life that I don't have right now, and I can have it tomorrow or the next day. So I'm gonna work on manifesting it there. One of the things I started to realize is like, if there's no such thing as time, if this is an illusion, and the future is no more real than the past is, then there is absolutely no reason that I can't also manifest things in the past. So what I would start to do using just a variation of the analysis of the keyword is I would visualize like some of the most traumatic things that had happened to me, say, for example, being beaten by a prison guard whenever I had suffered like some sort of physical damage. And in my mind, I would start doing the analysis of the keyword and I would bring that light down on myself and the situation while I was visualizing it as it was happening in the past. What I was starting to realize is it didn't change like the physical world ramifications of what had happened. You know, like, for example, using that scenario, like being beaten by like a gang of prison guards. If I bring the light down on that particular situation, it did not make that never have happened it didn't necessarily heal all the physical trauma that I had went through. But what, what you realize, like if you've ever been beaten really bad, you know that it's not just a physical thing. Like it affects you mentally. It affects you emotionally. It affects you spiritually. Like it changes how you see the world. Like you can be severely beaten and it can steal every ounce of faith or belief or hope that you have in the goodness of humanity. You know, you start to look around and see everyone as the perpetrator of the next um, potential trauma that could befall you. What What started to happen at, when I would bring, do the analysis of the keyword and bring the light down on these events in the past, it didn't heal me physically, but what it did was kind of repaired all of the emotional and psychological damage that I had sustained all the ways that it had changed me for the worse. By going through that, it healed those things.
1: Yeah, and amen for that, right? the The, the theological thought that that I find very powerful because um, I, I I did go to seminary and do a whole masters of divinity and work for like the Anglican Church as while I was running a Golden Dawn temple as a imperator and hierophant, it was you know, my, my daytime and my nighttime. And it was a strange thing in my life, but I was very lucky to get to have that experience. It was, it was something that I really had driven home by watching those movies about you. I was like, Jesus Christ, like, you know, that could have been me. It feels like that's how so many people, I mean, that's what everyone probably tells you. I'm sure I know for sure they tell you all tell you that because we all look at, at what happened to you and say, Jesus Christ, that literally could have been me. It could have happened to almost anyone. Um, wrong place, wrong time, dark hair likes witchcraft. Jesus Christ. And with occult experts like the one who took the stand at your trial, Jesus. Yeah. yeah. No. It's like, hello, people. You know, some of us actually do study these things and do PhDs in these things. Like there's actual experts
3: out there. <laughs> you couldn't get one. Gee, I, let's... Yeah. <laughs> They didn't want yeah,
4: they weren't interested in. Yeah, they weren't anyone.
3: interested in having anyone who actually knew anything. They wanted a guy who had mailed in an envelope full of Fruit Loops box, top, box tops and gotten a certificate back in exchange, saying you're now a cult expert.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm sure there's a few of us who'd like to have a few words with that guy. <laughs> <laughs> like you know you're setting us back here just a little bit.
4: <laughs> We're
1: trying to get these. These courses attended at university, not banned.
4: Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah.
1: Um, but the theological idea in the uh, in, in the crucifixion that I always thought was fascinating and overlooked is that the idea in the crucifixion is that it happened not just once 2,000 years ago, but it happened at the beginning of time, and it happens, it's happening at the end of time, and that it ties all of time together. And just that concept alone, what at that stage in the analysis, when you you know, bring your arms apart before the, saying the light of the cross, right? That's mm-hmm. that idea. And, and as an idea of manifestation, it does bridge time. And all magic needs to be, in, to some extent, I think, outside of time, if it's yeah. going to allow manifestation to occur. There's something about the stitching together of our being from the beginning to the end in the center. Just sort of like how Keter and Malkut, you know, are one and the same, but we find them through Tiferet, through beauty, through the soul um and that's the idea that to me i think has something to do with the power of the analysis of the keyword because it's an odd ritual in a way it's very egyptian it's very christian it's very it's got some hebrew and it also is tied to the this weird five six initiation that happens in the vault of the adepti of the golden dawn and teaches you the great sign it's the great sign that we learn right and mm-hmm. the fact that it can be sucked out of that that victorian context from which it was created and inspired And then transplanted into a teenager's you know depressed goth teenager's bedroom where i grew up or to a prison cell in i don't know exactly know which prison you know where you were it's like and and still have so much power is is kind of it's kind of absurd in a way
3: and i think what you just said also it really does touch on one of the most profound aspects of of magic. I always tell people, you know, people say what's like the best or what's the greatest book on magic you've ever read. And honestly, it's the Bible. And you, you know, you read about, The experiences that all these prophets had, whether it's John the Revelator, whether it's Ezekiel, whether it's Enoch, you know, they're all describing these experiences where basically they ascend up through the levels of reality, ascend up Jacob's ladder, whatever you want to call it, until they're standing outside the dimensions of space and time before the throne of God. Well, if they're outside and and these things, you know, we've kind of been taught, especially in like fundamentalist circles now that these things are like just mysteries that we have no way of understanding, you know, just things that God gave us for some reason that we're not supposed to understand. But what they actually are, are instructions. We are meant to be able to do the same thing that these prophets did to duplicate and replicate their results. Well, if if what they when they ascend to the throne of God, if they are outside the dimensions of time and space, if they are in this realm, like you were saying, where the crucifixion happens before the beginning of time and after the end of time, then whenever we duplicate these results and we stand before the throne of God, we are standing shoulder to shoulder with these prophets because there is no time, there is nothing that separates you from them. You're standing there with Ezekiel, looking on the face of God. You're standing there with John the Revelator before the throne of heaven.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Tumo, Laurie, you you looked at Tumo in the book, correct? Am I saying, pronouncing that right? Yep. I got to spend some time right before COVID with uh, uh Tibetan monk and he was a very interesting guy he's an artist named romeo shrestha and does does all the dial Lama's art and all that stuff and uh and uh i was sort of curious what kind of spiritual teachings he, he would profess but and 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 doubly shocked when he gave me a asked me if i like psychedelics and gave me a tab of acid and here <laughs> pure, pure light and, yeah. and I took it on the sol- winter solstice before COVID that year and had a remarkable experience where I was in Northern California teaching at this retreat center. And uh, I realized that I don't actually know that much about the sort of magical practices that people like him do engage in all day long. So your chapter on, on that was really interesting in describing the, the ripping and blazing, isn't it? Mm-hmm.
2: Ripping
1: yeah. and blazing. I wonder if you could say a bit about that because it's just something that stood out in the book for me, and uh, yeah, I thought I was I was sort of sad that the chapter wasn't a bit longer.
0: And now, a word from our sponsors. Hermetic Science Enterprises is a publishing company based in Scotland, UK, that specializes in Western esoteric printed literature as well as educational videos. With various imprints under its belt, its roster consists of grimoire tradition literature, alchemical works, Golden Dawn tradition books, and the several texts and videos originally belonging to the philosophers of nature. Besides its downloadable videos and standard hardcover edition books, Hermetic Science Enterprises also produces beautiful and precious limited fine edition books that are true pieces of art. For more information, to order any of its products, please visit www.hermetic-science-enterprises.co.uk. That's hermetic-science-enterprises.co.uk. And as a lot of you know, I've uh, talked with the publisher Lenny on the podcast before, including a six-hour epic uh, extended version on the Patreon. And, uh seen the fine edition of his new grimoire of scott's discovery of witchcraft which is only available for purchase up to 50 limited copies uh till the end of may i believe so check it out now
4: Diving deep into the practices and reality tunnels of the esoteric and the occult, check out Praxis Behind the Obscure podcast, where I interview practicing occultists, do book reviews, and much more. Check us out on YouTube, Red Circle, and many other podcast platforms.
3: At Parker, our purpose is simple we want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices.
1: Because you guys have it divided, sort of, right?
4: Right. right. That, to me, it, it that particular ritual where I talk about um, the monks and how they would literally, you know, they would put these cold, they would be sitting and just literally doing energy work, sitting there. They would put these cold towels over them, like so cold. And then just the heat that they were generating from just sitting and meditating the sheets dry. And, you know, it's just an amazing, when you think about how powerful we are in our body and in our, in our spirit, and that we can generate that kind of energy. And so that led to thinking about, well, why don't you try to do something like that when you work out and literally visualize, you know, your body heating up and getting rid of you know and and it's funny because when i was reading we did an audiobook for it and we came to that particular ritual and i'm reading about tamo and i'm thinking oh i forgot you know it has been a while since i've read it and i thought oh i really love this and then i you know just thinking about it and 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 the amazement of it and then you get to the part where i'm saying <laughs> literally like inflame your body or the fat in your body and start burning it as you work out and then you know breathe it out as gold as like something yellow (laughs) it's disgusting but when you think about it why not you know why not use take you know what they're doing the the ritual they're doing and and look at it in a way in a different way where that you can create you're creating that heat in your body anyway then why not just use it and get rid of it um but I, I, I'm with you. I think it's such a fascinating. We watched this. It was a documentary. I think it was a Nat Geo documentary about this monk who sat in a tree for how long was that? It was
2: like years.
4: Years. This young boy. If you can mm-hmm. find it, I'll, I'll send it to you. If you haven't seen it, it's amazing. It's just he is literally sitting in a Bodhi tree. You can see it's like.
3: He wasn't eating or drinking <clears throat> or anything. They
4: filmed it. And he does Tummo, you see at one point he starts, literally you see the sweat just running down his body while he's sitting under that tree and not moving at all. That's one of the most fascinating pieces of film I've ever seen. It was amazing. I yeah.
3: you're kind of doing something similar to this, like a really light version of it. Whenever you are learning the basic principles you know, of the golden dawn work, like say, for example, when you're doing the lesser invoking, like one of the first things you learn, you know, you're not just visualizing, you're trying to make yourself feel things at the same time, you're trying to add tactile sensation to it. You know, you're not just visualizing Raphael, you're trying to feel like the elements of, of heat and wetness coming on you and trying to remember like what a spring day felt like, or when you're invoking Mikael, you're trying to feel like heat and warmth, you know, like the middle of summer in, in the desert. So you're, you're really training yourself to be able to feel these things whenever you want to be able to feel them so that they, it does have practical applications. You know, Like for example, if you're out on a hot summer day and you're trying to cool off, you can do it by visualizing and making yourself feel what it would be like to be cooler. And to a certain extent, you can moderate and control your own response to yeah. external conditions.
4: I think one of the one of my favorite um, things Damian taught me is when you go out into a really cold day and your body just seizes up, right? And mm. it's so cold, and you know, you just go like this. And he says, literally, your body thinks you're going to die. It thinks it's going to freeze to death. So it's like you know. But if you can just take a take a breath and relax it's amazing the difference suddenly you're just like you're just that breath and the relaxation of it you're able to move through that freezing cold weather so much easier and i do that all the time now if i remember not
3: resisting it it, right that's it like the reason you, you know you'll realize when your teeth are chattering and you're shaking it's like every muscle in your body is tense like you are resisting and fighting against the cold And if you can make yourself stop, just make yourself relax and give into it, your teeth stop chattering, your hands stop shaking, you're still cold, but it's not having nearly the same effect on you as it is before.
4: I think that's one of the things we were trying to get across in the book. One of the sort of underlying teachings is the more you can visualize in detail things. I mean, and we both do that at night before going to sleep we start, and it's in the book, but we start traveling and, and, you know, it's to feel everything in that moment. And say, if you're near the ocean, feel that spray on your face and the smell of the salt and how the sun feels on you and what the sand, literally, if you do that at night, as you're going to sleep, it's the most wonderful thing. It's it's like going on a trip or something, but it's really important. And, And it also just teaches you how to visualize more and more, which will create more of your world and what you want your world to be but just that quality of visual visualization just learning that and honing honing in on that it's so important
1: yeah I'm glad you mentioned the the tactile thing uh it's it is it is key and also what you're what you're describing of, it, it reminds me of course of kenosis the fancy mystical term for self-emptying right we we uh we resist things and and uh, and set ourselves up in polarity to them and and experience them even more harshly as soon as we just sort of let go and and the tactile bit is fascinating because one of the most important things we, we always say when we're teaching scrying is when you see something when you have that image in your mind when you're trying to connect with whatever it is whether it's an unknown image that's coming to you spontaneously through pathworking, or you're trying to lock on to a specific being and therefore Sort of guiding it to see it a certain way, or testing it until it becomes the one that you want to connect with, is so mm-hmm. crucial. But the first thing is to interact with it. You see a tree, go up and touch the tree, go up yeah. and feel the tree. Really start to try and feel that stuff. Because if you can't, if 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 you can't get to the stage of feeling energy, it it is just a lot harder to direct the same amount of force. And I yeah. feel that a lot of the times with visualization, it's so um, uh, visual focused it can leave out a lot of the the more feeling type people, the clairsentient yeah, types.
3: Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah.
1: And and for me, it's uh, who's I've been more of a feeler, but developed that strongly enough to get some seeing, which was really cool, of course, because it's just fun. It's, it's fun when you see light shining around shit. Um, <laughs> like, and, and then, of course, there's the crisis of the fact that you realize that everyone in the world is sort of blind to what's right in front of us and all that. I remember uh, when I first was learning to feel energy and I was showing my older, much older cousins at a Christmas family Christmas party and I was drawing shit symbols on their hands with their eyes closed and most of them could feel it and they all gave me the same dumbfounded look like, <laughs> like almost like they were upset because <laughs> what like what some of them couldn't feel anything we're like ah, that doesn't that's the nonsense but the ones they could feel it you could see this like almost anger like wait a second if that's possible we, we should know we'd know that but, but I just felt so thing. it's possible. What the hell, kid? Yeah. What do I they just walk away to go get another hors d'oeuvre and <laughs> eat it despondently while their kids, you know, asked if they can open a present. And it's like, what do you do with that information? And it's this big black, blank, blank spot in our shared human reality that our whole culture is it seems, you know, feels like is utterly disinterested in or unaware of yeah Mm -hmm. what's how do you guys deal with that confronting that in our human existence
3: for me for the most part I had to I guess basically develop non-attachment to what everyone else is doing you know if you you know i I, just an example I used to like I would go in and do say a class somewhere or do a retreat somewhere and say there's a hundred people in the class And I'm talking about some technique or some practice or some bit of history or philosophy connected to magic in some way. And when it's over, I would know out of that 100 people, 99 people walked out not having a clue what I was talking about. Maybe only one person even understood any of it. And I would start to feel kind of like, why am I doing this? Why am I wasting my time? No one understands this because I was attached to it attached to how other people, what they were doing, what they weren't doing, how they were perceiving it, how they weren't perceiving it. And it was like one day I just had this realization or this epiphany, that's none of your concern. Your only job is to do your job. Put, to, to speak about or to talk about what it is that God, or the universe, or magic, or however you want to describe it, has put on your heart to talk about, like to do your will, that's your job, not to worry about how other people perceive it, or how much they take away from it, or don't take away from it, and once I reached that point, it was tremendously freeing, like from that point on, and and as strangely as it sounds, one of the things that caused it was, I've ended up in some weird situations since I've been out, and one of them was One time uh, I got asked to speak at a conference with Roddy Piper, the wrestler from the eighties. Oh, no way. Yeah. So, (laughs) and he had always been like, like when I was a kid, I loved Roddy Piper. I was like, yeah, I'll do that. I just want to be there when he's there. And, And I hear him start to talk. And the first thing that comes out of his mouth, he just starts rambling. He says, one time I ate a dead frog and I didn't get sick or nothing. And I thought, if he can do this, then I can do this. If, if he can talk about stuff like that, then and and not worry about you know, thinking of it or anything else, then I can do the same thing. And it kind of freed me for that.
1: That's amazing, Roddy. One, Roddy uh, Piper freed you. <laughs> One thing, even when
3: when you were talking about the tactile sensation a while ago. It it made me think also just how important that is to mastering so many techniques in magic, you know, not just the visualization, but so many others. One of them, you know, everybody who comes to magic or almost everybody that comes to magic at some point or another is going to get really into astral projection because it's one of those things that when you hear about it, you think, I want to be able to do that. You know, if I could do that, then it would open up so many doors and I could do so many things. So when I was younger, like in my early 20s, I tried, like I read tons of books on astral projection. I would do all of the visualizations, all the meditations, doing everything I could and had zero success time after time after time after time. What finally made it click into place and start working for me was the tactile sensation. Like don't just visualize that you're out of your body, but you have to try to feel it. Like when you're visualizing that you're out, you have to walk over to the wall and start running your hands down the wall and trying to feel what does the wall feel like beneath my hand? Is it rough? Is it smooth? Is it cool? Is it hot? What does the floor feel like under my feet whenever I'm stomping my feet? It was adding that tactile sensation to it that finally made it all click into place and start working. And I think that's absolutely true of a bunch of different subcategories within the the realm of magic.
1: Well, yeah, I I mean, it's so interesting, you know, when working with some angels, you're meant to stand on a sigil and other ones, you're meant to have it on a special altar that's made of sweet wood and, you know, tree, you know, consecrated and done with oil blessed by a priest and all of that stuff um so much of of magic is is innately natural and tied into the very dense matter of our physical world because it contains it's it's the matter contains the energy and it's like this 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 old dualism that we got to get rid of right you know of matter and mind and matter which we all sort of grew up with these things in the Cartesian sense as being totally separate, but now we're coming finally to a more holistic understanding of ourselves and the energy that our body contains and the consciousness. Like, what the fuck's happening in our dreams? We still don't know. And mm-hmm. why do we have dreams that then come true, um, like note for note? And you're sitting there going, "Hey, I dreamed this already. It's in my diary." You know, that's why we keep these diaries. Uh, yeah, the the physical tactile sensation. It's such a key that that. I mean, I, I read it in Gavin and Yvonne Frost's book, Astral Projection, when I was an early teen. So I was, I got that book and they mentioned it. So I was lucky because it, it, I tried the technique and it worked the first time to stunning effect. Like, as in, like, I was aware of my whole body and the trick, trick they taught was to visualize the place you're going and everything physically there and feel it. And then back to feeling where everything, where you are, and then go back to that, back to this, back to that faster and faster and faster. But the initial stages are lengthy, but then as it got faster, it was like this elastic getting tight. And then I felt like I was going down a, down a, a roller coaster. All so my body was being pressed to the bed and I, I was 13, I guess 14 at the time I have the diary up here. And it was like, I was being pressed to the bed and I was shot out. And one of the things that happened on these early experiences, that time I went to straight up to a very magical place. I'll tell you about it when we get together next time. (laughs) But one of the the weirdest experiences was I went to travel to my school, my grade nine classroom, and I saw one of my classmates there. And we talked and we had known each other since, since kindergarten. Uh, And then at school, the next day, um, she came up to me and said she had a dream. She was in the classroom and I walked in through the wall and asked her what she was doing there. And I wrote this all in my diary and I only reread it recently. And I was like, wait a second. Cause at the time I assumed all of this stuff was true. I was so young. Right. And I mm-hmm. growing up in transcendental meditation, I was, I was expecting it to all work out and be exactly what every book said would happen. And mm-hmm. the fact that that was such a, like, now I look at that as an older adult. I'm like, what the hell? How come mm-hmm. that? So that is possible. Yeah. You can astral travel and see someone somewhere that they also see themselves in their dream. Wow. Mm-hmm. And no one's talking about this. Well, maybe just the folks at MK Ultra and you and me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: like,
1: <laughs> I, now that I'm, you know, just at the stage I'm at now in life, I'm, I still, I still want to say, you know, what the fuck to people? Like, I sort of feel like we should all start saying this until someone does something about it, because it seems like a slightly large gap in the potential field of our understanding of our universe.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And I'm wrestling with it because no one knows what to say, right? It's not like I can go to a physicist and get a better answer from them versus right. uh, versus someone selling crystals at a shop.
2: Right. right.
1: No one has the right, the full answer. It's a question mark. What do you think of that question mark? You
4: know, I don't know if this answer is is actually what you're asking. But I've just been through, you know, I, I look at people all the time thinking what you're thinking. It's like, why don't they care? Why aren't they interested? Why aren't they seeking this information? Or, you know, why is it just some of us that do? And then that led to, um, it, you know, my family. And I had, a, I had a pretty abusive childhood, and I've been wrestling with that lately in trying to figure out, should I do something about it? Should I write about it? You know, just for healing purposes. And so I literally just prayed about it. I said, just what am I supposed to do here? Every book I have read in the last six months has been about some kind of an abusive family situation. I mean, I'm not seeking them out. You know how it works. It just, you'll get what you ask for.
3: Synchronicity.
4: Mm. And so then literally, and I've been, I'd still say, pray, pray. So I I say, you know, prayer to me is is doing magic. And so what happened was literally I just got this full on healing. I no longer feel angry at my parents. I no longer feel angry at anyone in my family. It's like, who am I to judge anybody for where they are in their own progress, you know, in their progression. And so that enabled me To think of people in the world, it's like I have no right to judge anyone as to where they are right now, or where they are in their process, or where they are in their spiritual, you know, path. And that was the best I could do. It's all—I think it's all about healing and forgiveness, to be quite honest, (laughs) you know. Because that's, you know, you see a a mother screaming at her kid, and you want to take her aside and tell her, oh, you know, you shouldn't be doing this or whatever. And I, that's how I used to feel all the time. And now I'm just realizing it's horrible what's going on here. And yeah, sometimes you do have to speak up like you're talking about, maybe there is something that can be said, but also there's just that realization that you just have to accept where people are.
3: You know, also what you were just saying, you mentioned like MK ultra, just you know we live in a society where for whatever reason you do have people invested in not having these questions answered yeah whether it's because you know on one end of the spectrum say you do have you know people practicing these sort of, of things and they don't want you knowing that they exist because then it would liberate you it would free you to a much greater extent Or to the other end of the spectrum, it's like they don't want you to care about those things because there's no money to be made on those things. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're if you're getting into this stuff, all they want you to do is buy more McDonald's and keep on keeping up with the Kardashians. You know, if it's not those sort of things, then there's there's no financial gain there. So they want to keep your attention off of those sort of things, things that would make you grow and, you know, expand beyond like the mediocre mundane stuff that we're fed as a society. It, honestly, it could be anything. I, But I really do think it's kind of like what Lori says. You can't make people reach a stage that they're not at yet like you can't make someone want to know this stuff you can't force it until they have reached a state of either emotional intellectual or spiritual maturity where they're ready to come to these practices with an open and receptive heart and actually start doing them, looking for something else. And and honestly, like you were talking about a while ago about how the people that you were interested in were always the people that had went through something bad, some sort of trauma. Honestly, I think nine times out of 10, we have to hit rock bottom before we finally open up to these things. People who are well-adjusted, who are wealthy, who are well-liked by their peers and aren't going through bullying or aren't being harassed by cops, they haven't had a reason yet to start exploring these things. It's the people that have been forced out of mainstream society who have been hurt, who haven't had like the support structures to turn to that more fortunate people have. It's hitting that rock bottom place that finally brings us to a state where we're ready to start looking at this stuff, reading about this stuff, practicing this stuff, and we can't force anybody else to to reach it before they're ready themselves.
1: Beautifully said. It, 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 it just returns us back to the state of uh, John Dee's era, right, where he's asking angels for answers to scientific questions they, they couldn't figure out any other way. I mean, he mm-hmm. had reached the limits of known knowledge yes. and it had to turn to uh, what you might call the occult um a secret knowledge. And it's sort of, I feel I've sort of felt I like, guess that's how it is today. It's, you know, some anyone who's astral traveled into someone's dreams and had that person notice it and talk to them about it. We're sort of hooped. We have to either be at the forefront of this uh investigation and 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 uh deal with the fact that most people will think we're nuts um until maybe the world's ready to investigate these things a bit more. I mean we're sort of getting there a little bit with plant medicine development i think Um, um, i spent a good chunk of the early pandemic uh exploring uh integrations with uh different ritual techniques and dmt to see what what level of control i could have in that realm and how much i could control where i went and it was a long learning experience but hey it was early pandemic there wasn't much else to do so (laughs) there you go (laughs) Um, um, I've, I've been curious, did, did, did plant medicine and entheogens play, uh, much of a role in uh, either of yours recoveries or journeys through all of this, uh, spirituality? It's, it's okay. If you also don't want to answer based on wherever you live and whatever the laws might be, you know,
3: it hasn't it for me, it's uh, honest for whatever reason. I mean, I see the validity of it and I talk to a lot of people who have gotten a lot out of it. Uh, you know, I, I think a lot of things that takes you sometimes years of practicing magic, I've seen people gain from plant medicine, you know, within weeks or months, you know, realizations and epiphanies. But for whatever reason, it was one of those things, you know, we all just have something in life that we know it's not for us, you know, like what whatever it is, whether it's some people for, you know, some people will come across magic and they'll be like, that, I just know that's not for me. Some people will come across Christianity and be like,
2: I know mm-hmm.
3: that's that's not a thing I'm interested in. For me, for whatever reason, it was always plant medicine. And, and I think it was it probably would have been different if I would have discovered it you know, way back before I started down the path of magic and got as far as I did and, you know, explored alternate paths more. But I, I feel like I've kind of reached a point now where. And I don't mean this in like an arrogant way or anything, but it's kind of like I don't need it anymore. So it doesn't really appeal to me. Um, We have friends, though, that have gotten remarkable results from plant medicine. Mm -hmm. I mean, like like all kinds of healing, Mm -hmm. being able to let go of trauma you know, being like, that went from being strict materialist, yeah. that there is nothing in the universe except what we can see, touch, smell, taste, and hear, to being open and receptive to the weirdest stuff that you bring up now, because they've seen, <laughs> oh, there's more to reality than I thought there was, and it came about yeah. because of their experiences with plant medicine.
4: I'm really fascinated with DMT. I'd love to hear what your experiences were with it um in that just because i would like to experiment with it doing what damien was talking about where just to go back through all my experiences to be able to look at them and um and possibly heal those times and look at it in a different way um i've heard that that's it's possible to do that um when you're doing dmt to you know look back on your life so was that your experience?
1: I, I think that's, uh, I've heard that about that with ayahuasca, um, which I haven't uh, had a chance to try yet. Um, I know 5-MeO-DMT can, uh, which really just sort of shoots you right up the middle pillar into the so 4 and the infinite white light of scintillating obliterated ego consciousness, right? Where you just, you, you know, that's where people express like having the feeling of dying. They they do have ego death, which you know my favorite description of which is you forget that you're in a place because you smoked a thing, right? That that you forget that you're where you're at because you and if you do forget that you're where you're at is because you just did that thing and you'll be back. That is that is ego death. You're like oh shit, you just you think you're there. (laughs) Regular DMT I found to be more like being projected physically into the astral plane, different colorful realms with crazy shapes and there you're going to be really confronted with external realities and external beings that uh are very serious about their existence and like they really they're there Um yeah. it's weird i know i sat now and now this is the crazy section of the podcast where people are like oh here he goes um <laughs> but but yeah it's true and there's a lot of dark realms a lot of light realms i've intentionally sort of found ways to shift between both you know it was shocking here you go but it's it's you know it's a big episode so i'll share some more details I found some things like um, a God form assumption and 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 using invocations worked to an extent, but a lot of those things when I went into the realm sort of got slapped out of my paradigm. Like that structure didn't fit there and it was just like almost laughable. But some things did work. And the thing that was most shocking, the thing that let me move most between realms was grade signs, mudras.
2: Really?
1: Yeah, I was stunned. And do, and when I had the most profound experience, which was the co- the 22nd of 22 experiments I did was a full vision of Ezekiel and I was like in bed I could feel that my arms were moving physically as well and I was holding it and it felt like if I wasn't holding these forms to push up through the levels to have that vision and see the face of God that I would be obliterated and die and then when I finally saw that vision I had to like just be naked before the Lord but I was using these great signs in a very powerful way that was just shocking to me and it was the most incredible experience really you know that let me be glad that i tried to combine dmt with ritual work in a responsible way because i was never a drug kid growing up and i always thought wouldn't it be cool one day if i experimented with all this stuff but coming at it from a place that most people can't claim to come at it which is not from a like you know i didn't smoke even a toga weed till i was 24 um i just was i didn't need it like you said but to then do that as an adult and with full knowledge of what I was doing and responsibility was, uh, I thought worth an experiment. And
3: uh, wow. when you're experiencing that, are you like aware at all of the physical world? Like, do you still know my body is in my bedroom or my living room and I'm laying on my couch or my bed, or is all that completely gone and you're only experiencing other realms?
1: Yeah. Fully in the other realm to the extent that you okay. can turn around and move about in the realms. But again, the experiences aren't so long lasting that that you get to acclimatize to that place for me, at least. Um, and for that, that's why that's when they do extended state things. A, a lot of guys, I know a lot of Freemason guys are doing experiments now where um, they do the extended state ones. So you smoke an inhibitor first and then you stay in that DMT realm for like six to eight hours. And what they're doing is they're playing single tone frequencies in in headphones. And they're finding that you, and everyone who hears the same frequency, the same tone, when they go into it goes to the same place. And so they're charting and mapping the DMT realms, as they say, and I'm trying to get them to talk more about this. And I know other scientists are doing this as well as just psychonautic Freemasons, but um, it's something that uh, they told me about what they're up to, because I guess they want more people to know that it's being done and yeah, and uh, they they just need more data they need more people to do it they've described having full lives in these other realms coming back having fully forgotten they were in this life and they say it's traumatic every time so wow. i don't know if i physically have the constitution at the stage in life to to undertake stuff like that but i'm yeah. sure healthier people without autoimmune diseases can can carry the flag and pioneer new lands
4: yeah hey, wow yeah
3: that's amazing that's Fascinating. isn't it crazy like, yeah it is. yeah i figured you'd want to know about it <laughs> You know, you're talking about like with them you're saying that they experienced like these entire lifetimes in these other realms and we had a friend one time that was talking about his experiences with this and it sounds funny you know I laughed whenever I heard it but it wouldn't be funny if you were actually experiencing it like he was talking about one guy that like like this this was a guy who had went to Iraq during and he was in war he had seen combat he was in the navy comes back over here and he was going through stuff to help him uh, like deal with post-traumatic stress disorder related to combat issues, and he was doing it with other people. And one of the other people in his group, uh, whenever he came back, whenever he came down, was he said he was legitimately traumatized. He said, this man said that he had went somewhere and been raped by two crocodiles for thousands of years, and whenever he came back, like he was really screwed up. Like he had really went through that experience.
1: Yeah, I could see that happening. Um, I mean, uh, you know, I, I was never into any of that reptile stuff at all. But the first time I did DMT, one of the realms I went to, there was two little reptile guys across the room, which was an ice winning. And they told me that I needed to go back to the earth and tell people to take as much DMT as they could because we all need to take it. And it was really creepy and really weird, but I came back and felt like every cell in my body had been replaced. You know, it's not the usual sort of hangover of even Potter or anything like that. And I just was like, well, I I got, I'm going to tell people something (laughs) at least tell them the story. I'm not. (laughs) Yeah. It's um, I, sometimes I'm it depends. Not every journey is fully out of body. Sometimes I maintain awareness of myself or my body and I've had other really crazy experiences i mean you can hit me up on instagram and I'll, I'll i'll spill all the beans of course to you guys um but what i guess is uh and, and you can get locked out they can lock you out that's oh, wow. the thing. i've had a lot of friends who have been locked out i've had a lot of friends who sort of were told that they weren't shouldn't come back and then when they tried things got really weird um i've had a uh, famous guy on youtube uh who recently quit drugs and then started juicing and does psychedelic experiments and films and lots of viewers he said he tried a superhero dose like all of this huge amount blah blah and it was just black nothing i was like and he was like he had some theories on that i was like oh brother i know what that is you're you're banned (laughs) yeah and they talk to you about it and they'll appear show you, they'll tell you in some visions, some of your journeys, that they'll show you something in your everyday life to remind you that this is real and that they're watching and that they're here and all that stuff. And it's super fucked up. Wow. Wow. We have
4: have friends who are microdosing um, DMT and that's a new uh,
1: sort of thing that's happening. Yeah. yeah. One of my podcast guests was smoking it and a vape the whole pen the whole time during the interview. And I was like, what the fuck? Uh, oh my God. Like, how yeah. can I do that? I, I don't think I could do that. But what yeah. are the, their experience?
4: So they've been doing it now for a couple of years and they do it uh, four days on and three days off. And they're writers. And they're also, they, these people are filmmakers. They make, you know, huge. Wow and they're 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 saying that their work and their lives have gotten exponentially better like their writing is now like and and it's also and they're also you know like Damien was saying they're starting to accept things that they normally would never have accepted you know even like we went recently to see Point Pleasant West Virginia to see where the Mothman you know had come
3: and I Ooh. sent a
4: picture, <laughs> Yeah, I sent a picture and, you know, right away, they're right back. We're believers. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, 10 years ago, you would have so poo-pooed anything that was outside of, you know, what you actually see. But and
3: now the, they're accepting the mothman. <laughs>
4: yeah. It's like, I got this note, we're believers with exclamation points. But in it, you know, it really has changed them and it's changed the way that they see the world. It's changed the way they see the other worlds and i would think eventually they'll probably do a flood dose yeah i would really like to try that that sounds
1: yeah yeah um well i yeah it's it's uh i don't i mean you know yourself just uh I don't know what else to tell you. <laughs> it, it, it's uh it's it's the choice. I mean, we all have to make those choices for ourselves. That's 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 the yeah, world we need exactly. to live in, especially yeah. when it comes to those things. Because I tell you, I wouldn't want to be responsible for someone having a break, you know.
4: Yeah, uh, and, well, I think and, you're right. I think you have to be, you you said it, you have to do it responsibly and you have to be ready for it, and you can't be doing it. Just to, I mean, who am I to say what anyone's doing it for? But I do think you can be irresponsible. That's all. I'm oh, saying. for
1: sure. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, I mean, I'm sure a few, a few of my little experiments when I was doing quite a few were were a little on the edge of of responsibility. But that's because you're testing and seeing what's safe, right? You know. Yeah. Um, uh, keeping technology or computers alive in the room is a big danger sign and they can oh oh yeah you might want to do it like even if your TV's off have it unplugged or just do it in a room that doesn't have that stuff spend the day cleaning your room in advance preparing yourself doing all that stuff it makes a huge difference and those beings seem very aware of that that space seems very aware of the state of your soul like like we hear in 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 religion and mythology and spirituality that you know these beings know see through us like 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 we can't imagine. Like they literally mm-hmm. can see it all. And if that's the case, um, well, you probably want to have a good look at yourself before you present. Yeah, <laughs> all right. yeah. So here I am.
4: I don't know if I'm going to ask this in a way that you, hopefully you can understand it. So are there realms that are not connected to us that you go to? And are there realms that are literally like right here that you go to?
1: Um, it feels like to me, I mean, there's sort of a veil. A lot of people call it the wall of lights, but it feels like the veil of parakeet that, that you can come up against and you might not get through, which can have to do with the dosage. Um, and it can also have to do with reaction. Once I pulled myself up by accident, just when I hit it, there was some, some sort of fear, or concern sh- leapt up. And this, is, this was the last time, actually. And I just opened my eyes, and the whole every th- reality was orange. And I couldn't even see my friend next to me. It was just orange. And I was like trapped in this matrix orange room. And it's like, shit, did I die? And I, this is like, this is death. And you're like, holy shit. You know, my buddy wasn't answering me. I'm like, dude, are you there? He's like, yeah, yeah, I'm here. I'm, my dad? He's like, I don't think so. <laughs> <You
2: know>? <laughs> 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 I just put my hand on his
1: shoulder while slowly things came back. But, um, yeah, different things can happen. It does seem like with regular DMT, you go into those sort of realms, but with the 5-MeO where they're towed, right, um, yeah. you go straight up to the white light. 5-MeO has actually always been legal in Canada. It got missed on the scheduling. And same as peyote, you can get it over the counter down just down the street. Um, wow. So if you're ever, ever in Canada, you can Do and get and do peyote legally and as well as 5meo um
2: Hmm.
1: yeah fun facts for those out there listening if any if anyone happens to listen this this episode who
2: knows
1: (laughs) 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 um yeah no it's very cool that you're interested in in that stuff and i again i i just i think i think for me it was like there's the sense of like if 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 no magicians serious magicians ever experiment with the cross-section of magic and this stuff like we're missing out you know and that's why yeah. i sort of felt a bit yeah. of a yeah a calling and responsibility to do it but at the same time it's like you know your body can only handle sort of so much you only have so many times you can do a thing uh period whether it's mushrooms or any of that stuff right and it you know you just gotta so you know so it's good to make the most of it you know make it as as beautiful and powerful experience as possible i don't mm-hmm. know if that answered your question at all but
4: it did yeah oh. i mean i i Asking it, I knew it was going to be difficult for you to answer it, um, but yeah, you did.
1: Yeah, the, the the realms, like, it seems like you're in the, like, in fairy realms to an extent. Like, I never liked the term machine elves, but like the fact that there's these geometric entities and angels have often been described, of course, as geometric with eyes or what seems like eyes, very, very much the case. Um, and making reality, like a lot of them are just busy creating reality, it feels like. And they they tell they've told me many times this is how we make reality, and they say it like this, and they do a little dance, and then they say, Come with us, and you're going on a ride, and you're like, Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> and they take you on a little ride, they show you the show, you know. And, uh, Sounds like Willy Wonka. Oh, it can be very much like that. And, you know, sometimes it's just been experiences where I've just pushed upwards and just like called on Tahuti to like, you know, bring me to the highest light. And then I'm there bathing in the light and I'm like, sitting, staying there for a few minutes. I'm like, okay, let's go down. Show me how far we can go down. And whoop. Then you go down and see, like, like Christ, you got to go to hell before, yeah, for it to do the process. And it's fascinating. Um, yeah I know I'm very grateful that that I discovered that that was a, a thing yeah, yeah. Um, it was sort of shocking and for people who are I think like you were discussing your friends who uh, are into Mothman and I mean these things can be very good for rattling people out of their their uh, NPC mind
3: yeah <laughs> yes that's a good way to put it it is yeah.
1: <laughs> it's a weird thing it's such a weird thing isn't it it's a weird thing to be talking to you you know like just the other year you were a guy in the movies and and, <laughs> here. and uh you know when i started the podcast everyone was telling me i needed to get you i was like i don't think that's how magic works i think i'll just keep doing <laughs> what i'm doing i'm very grateful uh mike your publicist re-show to me so i hope you thank him um and uh so i was very flattered and honored to uh to be included in this uh this uh promotional podcast tour, I guess oh, is what you guys are doing, absolutely. which is yeah. uh which is great. You know, uh the book looks really cool. And right. uh I'm a fan of I'm a fan of of intro books that that take occult topics and try and make them a- digestible to a broader audience. Because yeah. again, I I I was never into the occultism because it was dark or secretive or I'm not one of those uh Gwettia heads, you know, I may have like Cyprian up there, but it's not uh, the, the dark stuff isn't what what does never what appealed to me what appealed to me was you know living your best life or like uh like uh you know saint irenaeus said the glory of god is every creature fully alive
3: mm-hmm. yeah. yeah yeah that's a good description
1: and if we need those secrets a few secrets to help us be more fully alive then 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 there's nothing's off limits in my opinion yeah that's right you have to be well, extra territorial as occultists spiritual beings
4: you're just you're just wonderful. It's really great talking to you. Yeah. You really are. It's fun. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, thank you. Humbly, humbly, thank you. Yeah. Well, hopefully you'll come back on the podcast anytime. You're both a uh,
2: thank you. Welcome we would love to. Yeah. For
1: sure. Whenever you want. Um, we'll do a say farewell and then do a little listener QA for for my my Patreons. Gotta keep sure. gotta keep those eight people happy. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. my Patreon people. i've added t-shirts and mugs to it so
3: there you go uh, (laughs) bringing out the merch
1: yeah all right so i'm going to stop and restart.
0: hermetic science enterprises is a publishing company based in scotland uk that specializes in western esoteric printed literature as well as educational videos with various imprints under its belt its roster consists of grimoire tradition literature alchemical works Golden Dawn Tradition Books, and the several texts and videos originally belonging to the philosophers of nature. Besides its downloadable videos and standard hardcover edition books, Hermetic Science Enterprises also produces beautiful and precious limited fine edition books that are true pieces of art. For more information, to order any of its products, please visit www.hermeticscienceenterprises.com co.uk that's hermetic science enterprises.co.uk and as a lot of you know i've uh, talked with the publisher lenny on the podcast before including a 6 hour epic uh, extended version on the patreon and uh seen the fine edition of his new grimoire of scott's discovery of witchcraft which is only available for purchase up to 50 limited copies uh till the end of may i believe so check it out now UK